0: I loved it. I loved my job. I loved the people that I worked with. And I just felt like there was something bigger. I mean, your show is called No Limits, right? There's a limit to what you can do and create and how much money you can make working for somebody else. So I kind of compare it to renting your home versus owning your home. I was ready to own my home. I was ready to own my job, to make goals, and to do it on my own terms. From ABC, it's
1: No Limits. I'm Rebecca Jarvis, and each week we're talking to the most bold and influential women playing at the top of their game, trying to demystify success and what it really takes to get there and all of the trade-offs. Whether you're looking for answers or you just want to hear a good story, you're in the right place. Welcome to a special crossover edition of No Limits. We've got two rock stars in the house today, the women behind the Being Boss podcast,
0: Kathleen Shannon. I remember the day I quit, I was kind of freaking out about money a little bit, of course. And it's not just the money itself. It's like the money is a measurement of your value to the world, right? And I wanted to be a value to the world and I wanted to be a value to my household And the day I quit, my husband said, one day you will be making more than I am. And Emily Thompson, we all see the
2: books or the articles, you know, these blueprints for success, or these are the six steps that you take to get whatever it is that you want. And you only have to try one or two of those to
1: find out that those blueprints aren't real. Cue the applause. They are authors, self-proclaimed business besties. And if you like what we're doing here at No Limits, Their Being Boss podcast is a must-listen. They're creative entrepreneurs who walked away from executive roles to start their own companies. They've taken the road less traveled, and they are killing it. In this episode, we're talking about the right time to make the leap, the power of unsubscribe, the problem with listicles, you know, those articles that tell you the seven steps to be more successful as an entrepreneur, and why sweating the details, especially early on, really does pay off. Kathleen Shannon and Emily Thompson, welcome to No Limits. We are so excited to be here. Uh, I'm so excited to have you with us. So you are phenomenal podcasters, Being Boss, one of my favorites, sincerely. I've been following you for years now. You've been doing this for what? Almost three years now? A little
2: over three years now. Over
1: three years. Uh, And you also have your brand new book just out, Party in New York City. Yes. yes. Tell us about
2: the book. Kathleen and I have been talking about writing a book, not necessarily together, but writing a book separately for our entire friendship. It was always one of those like life slash business goals that we were sharing with each other really long time ago. And uh, once we started being boss and started diving into the content that makes up the podcast and, you know, what the brand is, it became super obvious that the book we were going to write was going to be written together and that it would be about how to live and work as successful define your own success um entrepreneurs so it was a long gestation period <laughs> we're glad that the baby is out into the world and that it's that it's here for everyone to to enjoy I hope
0: I know I know some people talk about spending years writing their books and we wrote ours in four months but it came wow. out of years of conversation so even before we started the being boss podcast which is where we talk about mindset and habits and routines and boundaries and really building up your tribe and blending work and life and sometimes separating the two and hustling out your life as much as you hustle out the work Um, you know we've been having these conversations even before we were hitting publish on them and that was a very rare and special thing especially as you know freelancers and creative entrepreneurs who are working from our homes trying to just Get paid doing what we love. We were hopping on Skype and having these conversations with each other because we didn't live in the same city and really talking about what works and what doesn't and the little struggles and the big wins or the little wins along the way and talking shop and getting into numbers and talking about money and actually saying, here's how much I'm making and here's how much I would like to be making. Um, so the, the, the book, it was a conversation that is years in the making, and finally all in one place.
1: So you call yourself business besties. You both
0: are entrepreneurs. You both had businesses. How did you connect in the first place? Back in the blogging days. So we have always been content creators. And so we joke like I had a blog back in the live journal days. So I think we're about the same age. But this is like MySpace live journal, very dear diary. And I remember my first blog on a blog spot was about remodeling my home. And it was about the travel and adventures I was taking. And then my biggest adventure was quitting my day job and working for myself. I don't come from an entrepreneurial family. And Emily was also blogging. And so at that time, it felt like a small world and our paths had crossed. And we actually met in person at a conference. And, you know, there is something about that FaceTime that really seals the deal. And then we started hiring each other. So I was doing personal branding for creative entrepreneurs. And Emily was developing out websites and helping get online entrepreneurs into their own space online especially where they could be doing e-commerce so like jewelers who want to get off of Etsy and so Emily helped me with my website and gave me some ideas to launch an e-course she's always had her finger on the pulse and then I I don't know if we're here yet in the story but she was like let's start a podcast (laughs) Basically, after after several conver- or several
2: years of conversations that came from you know those early blog post comments and meeting each other at the conference and working together and even even sort of passing clients back and forth over over a couple of years, we got to know each other's you know work ethic and just overall sense of humor and all those like little things that that add up to a really good relationship and then we decided to um to start a creative project together so we had been sharing clients we had tried a couple of things on the side and um and what we really wanted to do though was make something together we went into creating the podcast with the idea of I don't know, just doing something for fun. And, and I feel like that's really when like a business bestie status went to the next level because it wasn't at that point just having conversations for our own, our own like wants and needs. It was having them for the purpose of sharing them with others.
1: So you come together. You've got this podcast in mind. How what long was it from the time that you had the idea versus the first show? Six weeks.
2: Less Six than, weeks. no, no, no. It was less than a month. I'm pretty sure it was less than a month. I think, like, early-ish December, I sent Kathleen a text message, er, an email, because I had had this idea, we needed to have a podcast. I sent her a pitch email. It was, like, all bulleted out. It was the most, like, boss email I've ever sent. (laughs) Of Like, pros and cons, like... What was the biggest con? uh, The biggest con was, we both are going to hate how we sound, like our the sound of our own voice but we'll get over it. It was like we just have to that was the biggest con was we have to deal with the sound of our own voice. Um and then by the first Tuesday of January, so less than
1: 4 weeks later, we had a podcast in the world. And how did you decide on the name Being Boss?
0: We actually took the podcast through my branding method that my Branding agency does so it's called the braid method and so really relying on my sister who's my business partner over there We were telling her about what we were trying to create and these pillars of you know Like this foundational content that we really wanted to get across we talked about our dream listener Who's your dream listener? You know, other bosses. So probably like a freelance creative entrepreneur, maybe probably a woman, but we're open to everybody. But we have attracted a lot of women listeners. And she's probably either young, like in her 20s or young in her career and maybe has a day job for a while, but wants to quit and do her own thing or has this side hustle on the side. But it's really wanting to try and figure out how to make money and make a living doing that thing.
1: Which with branding, it's so important, I think, to know who your audience is and who you are. How did you come up with that?
2: Well, it's. We were almost the Emily and Kathleen show. That was almost <laughs> the name of the podcast. But that's before we really got clear on who the audience was. And at that point, we had to rethink how it was we we were positioning ourselves. Like, we're not just going to be, you know, two chicks who are showing up and giggling at whatever it is we're giggling about that Though day. Though we kind of are. But we do do that, obviously. <laughs> um, we really wanted to provide these conversations um, to people who we knew were feeling exactly the way we felt. You know, alone and out Mm our, you know, creative entrepreneurship, Um, sitting behind a computer by ourselves, you know, hours on end, you know, wondering if... Anyone else is dealing with this or how it is that I'm even supposed to, like, fix whatever it is, you know, I'm diving into at the moment. Um, so at that point, we had to turn away from the Emily and Kathleen show and really think about the positioning of, of who it was we were talking to and what it is that they want to achieve. And those people want to be boss. They want to take control of their work and live life on their own terms in a way that... Um, That has them feeling fulfilled, either in their creative endeavors or in the business that will help them make money in that creative endeavor.
0: I will also say at the same time, though, we really know who we are. And we are also really opening. We're also really open to figuring it out as we go. So I think that whenever a lot of people are creating their businesses, I'm about to go off on a tangent. They think too (laughs) much about what their dream customer wants. And it kind of makes them they're kind of bending over backward and maybe even compromising not their own integrity by any means, but their own desires. And And they're they're also making a lot of assumptions and assumptions. And so I think that there is a lot of you need to really know who you are and what you stand for and what your values are and what your message is. That is so wise. And I hear that theme a lot
1: from business owners and creators here. Emily, your backstory. So you studied geography, Which caught my eye. So what were you, were you, how were you planning to
2: use that? I love this. Um, My, you know, my big, beautiful dream, the one with sparkles and unicorns, um, was that I would work for the National Park System. And I wanted to, you know, go like be a park ranger at Yellowstone, which is like, to get that spot, it's basically like winning a lottery. I was about to say, let's go do that now. Right, exactly. Would you still consider that? Would I still? Still consider, maybe you could still do the podcast. <laughs> maybe I would, but also, really, maybe not. Like, I'm legit afraid of bears. <laughs> So really, really, maybe not when it came down to it. And those outfits aren't super cute, (laughs) though I'm sure the shoes are super comfortable. I I don't know. I think I would rather visit them and, like, and, you know, use my entrepreneurship to give me really amazing long vacations so I can just, like, go camp and enjoy them as, like, a consumer.
0: Not have to (laughs) dig a trail.
2: Not have to, like, exactly, like, pull someone out of a trench. I don't even know what. Um, But yes, I wanted to work for the, I wanted to work for the National Parks, um, But I ended up potentially being more destined for a desk job, digitizing maps, um, which would have probably been all right, but gave me the heebie-jeebies. Why? Um, Boredom? Boredom. Hardcore boredom. I would sit there for hours, you know, doing these assignments to, you know, get my degree. And you'd get 18 hours into a project and the servers would crash. Or whatever it may be. And I I remember very consciously saying one day, I will never have a job that requires the consistent use of a computer. (laughs) And then I became a web designer.
1: (laughs) Kathleen, you you were mentioning earlier you're at your desk job and you thought, I have to go. What was the turning point where you were ready to walk away?
0: I became obsessed with Mount Everest and I wanted to go see it with my own eyeballs. And that's a long you know, trek to the other side of the world. And it took, it was a three to four week trip and I only had two weeks of a paid vacation. So I was blogging, as I mentioned, I had gotten married. I posted my wedding invitations to my blog and this was right before kind of that Pinterest, Etsy generation where you could find really cool designs just at the, you know, snap of a finger. And so I had designed these really cool Wes Anderson inspired wedding invitations and they caught the attention of a lot of other, you know, offbeat brides and couples who were asking me if I could design something like that for them. And it's funny because I was the lead designer for the NBA that was in Oklahoma City at the time. And I was, you know, doing a lot of really cool strategic work for financial institutions. And so then to be able to just design wedding invitations, felt like design for design's sake and that that was really fun to me at that time and then I also wanted to go to Mount Everest and so it was kind of this perfect storm of opportunity and then personal life desires to want to travel that really nudged me out of the nest now I will say I was working with my sister my sister is seven years older than me and she was my creative director so I loved it I loved my job I loved the people that I worked with and I work with a lot of them now at my own agency and um Um, So it was really great. I just felt like there was something bigger. I mean, your show is called No Limits, right? There is a limit to what you can do and create and how much money you can make working for somebody else. So I kind of compare it to renting your home versus owning your home. I was ready to own my home. I was ready to own my job, to make goals and to do it on my own terms.
1: So speaking of money, after you made that leap were you financially able to keep up and generate the same kind of income right away?
0: Yeah. So I should mention that I was in Oklahoma City. So this is a very location-specific thing where I felt like I was afforded the opportunity. I mean, the cost of living is incredibly cheap there. And I was able to make as much my first year as I was as a senior art director. And then the next year, I doubled it. And then the next year, I tripled it. Wow.
1: Did you do a business plan when you were starting?
0: No, no, (laughs) no. So we were just interviewing you for our podcast and we were talking about having the support of a partner and how incredibly important that is. And my husband definitely made it so that financially, but even more than financially, more like emotionally and energetically, I had so much support in quitting my job. And we knew that we could pay the bills on his one income. And sometimes I'm embarrassed to say that because I want to be so independent and to be able to say, I could do this on my own. And that's why I love having a business partner like Emily, because she is the breadwinner. She is. She's always been pulling in the money for her family. So I know that I could do it on my own, but I also really one of my values and something I crave is security. And so it really did help me take that leap. Um, But yeah. And I remember the day I quit, my, I was kind of freaking out about money a little bit, of course. And it's not just the money itself. It's like the money is a measurement of your value to the world, right? And I wanted to be a value to the world. And I wanted to be a value to my household. And I, the day I quit, my husband said, one day you will be making more than I am. And he's an electronics software engineer. And then one day that happened and we high-fived each other.
1: So, Emily, you have a theme for every year. I do. What's this year's theme?
0: This year it's peace. It peace? What peace. does
1: peace mean? <laughs> what is what is that going to look like?
2: Today peace felt like and looked like me sitting cross-legged in my chair on the airplane eating some granola during like airplane turbulence and trying to keep my cool and I did and it felt fine and it usually feels very not glamorous like that or this morning having to wake up at 4.30 to go get in the tub as opposed to the shower because of some shower work that's happening and me sitting in the tub in the dark like just finding my my moment of peace before you know a really full schedule for my day um, peace is little moments it's in it's in finding the quiet in any moment very small usually very loud and just being fine with it
1: kathleen uh, i feel like that plays into your message of unsubscribe this article that you wrote about learning to unsubscribe i thought was fabulous wow
0: you're you're digging in
1: (laughs) i do a little research i have an amazing team taylor dunn (laughs) annie (laughs) osakwe michelle boncardo they help
0: Yeah, I mean, there's so much noise out there. And with all the content that's being created right now, and you know, we were creating content in in our businesses and personally and professionally a long time ago. And after 10 years, that adds up, right? And so there is a lot of noise out there and everyone has a newsletter and an email list and everyone has an Instagram. And if you need to hit unsubscribe to feel a little bit, either better about yourself or even just to get focus, I kind of think of it more as putting the blinders on yeah so that you aren't being swayed by what other people are doing you're not falling into a comparison trap and thinking that the world doesn't need what you have to offer then hit unsubscribe and even if that means unsubscribing from my newsletter that's okay too one of the things, well,
1: that's not okay with me.
0: Don't unsubscribe. <laughs> I know everyone in the room is like, don't say that, Kathleen. Sh-
1: no, but it's, I appreciate where you're coming from. And one of the things I really liked um, as I was reading some of your work, the point about your success doesn't negate someone else's success. And the idea that we can all be successful. Doing the things that we're doing and I think sometimes that Instagram world can feel like oh well this person did this thing so my opportunity doesn't exist anymore and that I think that's really mistaken thinking.
0: Yeah, you know, it's funny because I think that even five, 10 years ago, I could be sitting in this room being like, why am I not Rebecca Jarvis? What's wrong with me? Right? Like thinking, this is so cool. What an amazing setup. And instead, we can sit here and be inspired and say, wow, we need a studio space like this for being boss. And for me, it's about surrounding myself with people who are going to inspire me and make me want to be the better version of myself as A mom, as a boss, as all the things, right? And there's enough room for all of us. All of us are creating things that will resonate with our dream customer or our friends or our, you know, whoever we're making things for. It will resonate in different ways. And it's so incredibly important. I would rather have, you know, 300 people looking at my work and really be impacted by it than millions who are just, Reading, I don't know, like a listicle or something. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, I want my work to be meaningful and impactful.
1: Well, the admiration is absolutely mutual. And one thing part of where my admiration comes from is I I said it when we were doing the podcast for Being Boss, which, by the way, listeners, you should absolutely go take a listen to the Being Boss podcast if you're not familiar with it yet, because it's a great, great thing. And I just did an interview with Kathleen and Emily that I really enjoyed. You guys are great interviewers. But one of the things that uh, that I think comes up a lot on the show is being real and understanding that all of these concepts are very personal. And so when one person says this is the thing that's the best thing, doesn't necessarily mean that's going to be the case for you.
2: Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's one of those things where, you know, we're all, we all see the books or the articles come through or whatever, you know, these blueprints for success, or these are the six steps that you take to get whatever it is that you want. And you only have to try one or two of those to find out that those blueprints aren't real and that, you know, you may get to your six figures or whatever, but it's not going to super make you happy. There is a requirement that you are consistently looking at yourself and what it is that you desire and how it is that you define success and you take the steps that you need to take on your path to get there. And it will never look like anyone else's path. And if it does does, you're not going where you're supposed to be going. You're going where someone else is going. And I think that's that's a really even important piece of that puzzle where, you know, your success isn't going to take away from someone else's because everyone's path is different. We're not all heading to the exact same place. And the faster you can wrap your head around that and, you know, reframe this idea of jealousy into inspiration or whatever it may be, The faster you're going to be going down the path that you want to be happily getting to a place that is your ultimate happiness.
1: How do you get unstuck if you feel yourself caught in one of these Instagram rabbit holes or I'm not doing enough or we're we're trying so hard, but people aren't catching on? Stay with us. There's more No Limits after a quick word from our sponsor. Brought to you by Indeed, used by over 3 million businesses for hiring where business owners and HR professionals can
2: post job openings with screener questions, then sort, review, and communicate with candidates from an
1: online dashboard. Learn more at indeed.com hire. There's a lot coming at you right now. Turmoil, tweets, an insane amount of chatter. I'm Brad Milkey with ABC News, and I am here to throw you a lifeline. It's a new podcast
0: called Start Here, where our experts give you on-the-ground access to the biggest stories of the day. We're going to give you some context, some clarity among the chaos. 20 minutes every weekday. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And start here.
1: How do you get unstuck if you feel yourself caught in one of these Instagram rabbit holes or I'm not doing enough or we're we're trying so hard but people aren't catching on I usually call Kathleen <laughs>
2: Quite honestly, I call up a friend of mine who's going to set me straight, whatever it may be. Someone who knows me, who knows what I value, who knows what I'm working for, um, who knows me. And tell them, be like, look, I saw this thing the other day. Has me totally jacked up. I'm really angry about it. Or like sad or depressed. Or I feel like I'm not working hard enough or whatever it may be. And have them snap me out of it. It usually only takes about 10 minutes of a conversation for me to get back on my path.
0: We're also big fans of making lists. And I think that we both do this anytime we're both feeling stuck. We get out a piece of paper and just start writing and I think that lists is even better than journaling because we're not getting in our head and going down an introspective spiral that's not productive. A list might be things that you want to see or it might be things that you want to make or big goals that you want to achieve. And once you have it, I mean, I have, there's this magic about making lists. I don't know if you make lists, Rebecca, but I feel like in my past, I can look back at lists I've made five years ago and I've accomplished almost every single thing. And maybe not on the timeline that I thought it would be, but I've accomplished it. And so if I'm falling down an Instagram rabbit hole where I'm starting to feel jealous or fear of missing out or guilty or any of those low vibing emotions, I make a list, and then I get to action. I mean, Mm -hmm. if I'm jealous of someone who is celebrating their most recent launch with mimosas, well, guess what? I can go buy some champagne and OJ too. (laughs) Like, there's nothing stopping me from having that same kind of life. And so that really is taking that jealousy and turning it into, you know, action and inspiration.
1: Something we talked a lot on Being Boss that I really enjoyed was this idea of when to say yes, when to say no. And in the context of that list, You know, you make these lists and they're the big things that you want to make sure. How do you make sure that all the little stuff doesn't encroach on the big stuff?
0: I think that's such a good question. And for me, I don't I have to say like I don't actively think about it. I think it's about getting clear on the list and then pairing that with getting clear on my values and intentions. And we were talking on the other show on our show about, you know, the overuse of the word authenticity. And I agree it's used a lot. But it's a good word. And I think it's something that we are all really craving is just being who you are a 100% of the time. And so I am always filtering everything that I do, the little steps along the way through that lens of my values. Is this going to help me be who I am and become who I want to be? And is this going to help the audience that I serve be more of who they are? And trust that the little decisions you know, being filtered through those values and intentions, one step at a time, are eventually going to get to the big list goals. And I've also found over time that I can't really muscle my way through those big list items. Now, I've I've certainly done that. Like I've said, I want to go see Mount Everest. I buy a ticket to Kathmandu. I make it to Everest. But some of those other things are kind of just a happen chance. So, for example, whenever we were talking about promoting this book, I said, I don't know what it is, but I'm seeing like a stage, I'm seeing lights, like we're going to be on a stage, like a Good Morning America kind of situation. I said this out loud to Emily, she can vouch. And now here we are with you. And th- that was just an email that landed in our inbox, right? So, That's I feel awesome. like there's this kind of this manifestation secret kind of thing that happens with list making
2: as well that's so awesome i think again there is some magic to not forcing the list but just clarifying the list and then letting it all unfold as it needs to um and i think i think that's important i think i think that sometimes sometimes you do need to muscle through and you know get to everest but sometimes you just need to wait
1: i i agree with that experience too um, I remember early in my career, there were often times where I was kind of like, well, why can't I just do this other thing that's bigger than where I am right now? And people would say experience. The reality is sometimes nothing can replace that experience. You can read a book. You can spend extra time trying to get there faster. But sometimes it's just about
0: going through the motions. Yeah, and you get that experience by truly just showing up. And so Emily was talking about how there's not a blueprint and there's not a specific formula. But I think that the characteristic that we see in bosses and that anyone listening to this show can do is simply write a list and not be afraid of knowing what you want. Mm. I think that, you know, that's the scariest thing, right? Is just saying I have this big goal and then admitting it to yourself by writing it down. But I think that's one of the most powerful things you can do. What's the scariest goal you've admitted? to yourself tv
1: show yeah we want a tv show what's it gonna look like
2: (laughs) we we've had a couple of conversations about it i see it being a little more like
0: uh cupcake wars meets like (laughs) the prophet kathleen is envisioning i see it more like a netflix like chelsea handler her most recent talk show i could imagine something more along those lines (laughs) (laughs) we'll see We'll see. Mm -hmm. I'm excited to see. I'm (laughs) excited to watch it. And, you know, but but whenever it comes to those big goals, so then I think about that. Well, what's stopping me from having a TV show? I have an iPhone right here that I can film on and I've got YouTube at the click of a finger. So we could create that and make it happen. And so that's something else, too, where you can make do with what you've got Mm -hmm. and you can start to create the feeling or just be creative, literally create the thing without it being an opportunity yet.
1: And a huge part of that, I would guess, this is true for me, and I'm assuming it's true for you, is not being afraid to learn along the way and experiment along the way. You guys strike me as two people who are really comfortable in that experimentation. How did you get to that point?
2: By falling on our faces over and over (laughs) again. I mean, we all start out thinking, all right, like, let's win, 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 win. But Failure is part of the process. And, you know, once you've been in it as long as we have, which, you know, not that it's that terribly long, but 10 to 15 years for me in terms of working for myself, seven, yeah. eight for you, you just learn that it's it's going to happen. And and that experimentation part is mandatory. You have to go into things not not with the idea of like, obviously, somewhat with the idea that, you know, I want to prove this right, but go into it with like, let's find the 15 ways that... I'm going to not succeed. That way, you know, getting it right is more likely going to happen. It's, it's not glamorous by any means, but it's real. And that's, that's how you learn and gain experience and find out how to make it work.
0: Over at Being Boss, we have a few different mantras that we're always coming back to, and mine are always really esoteric. Like money is energy, and Emily's is test and change. That's something that she taught me early on in my career, and that you constantly have to iterate and see what's working. She even has this columned. This is in our book, actually. This exercise: what's working, what's kind of working, and what's not working, and then kind of running it through the scientific method. Of like, okay, what's my hypothesis? And then if everything, if you're testing and changing and going into everything as an experiment, failure doesn't hurt so bad because you're actually kind of looking to fail so that you have the information as to what's not working.
1: What a great way of looking at it. What is the toughest lesson you've had to learn along the way?
0: Mine has been patience. So Emily and I tried launching a workshop together early in our business bestie friendship We were like, wouldn't it be so cool to get, you know, like five or six people together in Austin, Texas, and have a workshop around branding and building an online business? We launched it. We branded it. And one person signed up. And that was it. We had to refund their money and shut it down. Why didn't it work? It just wasn't the right time. For me, I think that this is where a little bit of trust in something bigger comes in. And so for me, it just... I think it wasn't the right time. And then Emily comes back, you know, a few years later with the idea of starting the podcast. We start the podcast. We say, hey, wouldn't it be cool to go on vacation to New Orleans together? And what if we invited some listeners? We just opened it up. We didn't have any grand ideas. 75 people later, we had a mini conference. And that was without even trying. So this thing that we had tried so desperately for, this workshop – a few years ago, it didn't work. And then a couple of years later, it was just easy. And so this is where I think timing comes in and that patience of timing and just waiting for it to come back around to the right time is important.
1: Before we, we go to Emily, because I want to hear your answer too. In between that time, there had to be this massive amount of doubt. So what, or maybe there wasn't, but what was it that said, OK, I, I just I know I'm on to something and I'm willing to keep going for it, even though this really didn't work out?
0: I think that's where it being kind of more of a side passion project, like it, it wasn't a massive doubt situation because we were still just working our day jobs. We were like, well, that didn't work out. Let's keep going. Let's keep, you know, nicking away at what we're creating at our you know, online development studio and my branding agency. And we were just wor- we were working too hard to be consumed with any sort of doubt. Don't you think? Yeah. Too busy. Too too busy to care
2: <laughs> or too busy to worry for sure or too busy to like have negative feelings. we were just we we're working
0: good things to do. You know, I also feel more doubt today or like more like uh ah because we're launching this book, I feel like now we have farther to fall. Or well, like we've built cre- so much. At yes, this point. we have built so much. So at that time too, we hadn't built as much as we've built today. So these days I'm more like, okay, we have teams of people that we employ. We are, you know, creating things that we love creating and we want to keep doing it. So more than anything, we just want to sustain that. Yeah. All right.
2: Here's my lesson. You ready for this?
0: Yeah. I've been thinking about this that whole time you
2: were talking. <laughs> um, mine, I think, and maybe not so much the hardest lesson, but the one that I see other people struggling with the most and the one that I see the best rewards from is learning to pay attention to like the smallest details. One of the things that I've learned from, you know, writing the book and sort of taking our careers to this next level is that one of the things that separates bosses who are doing it And those who are just trying to do it is that attention to detail. It's about knowing those broad strokes, but being able to break it down into the smallest things um, and making them either look great or you're delivering great products to your customer. You're remembering to put the right things in your signature. I mean, it's it's very like big and all encompassing. But I think that if you want to be great at something you have to know and like hold those details of everything and really like give it that final finesse before sending it out into the world and not to say that that should keep anyone from you know publishing the thing or launching the thing but once you take that step you have to dig back into the details over and over and over again and and i do i know that it's that it's that consistent refining of whatever it is that you're making or creating or putting out into the world or, you know, how it is that you do your dishes or whatever <laughs> it may be. It's, it's the attention to detail that will set you above everyone else. Um, and that one for some is super hard to learn. For me, has definitely been a process. Whenever I look back at some of the first websites that I created
1: versus, you know, the last website that I created, the difference is in the details. How do you balance wanting to get out there and do your thing with being a perfectionist around the details?
2: Right. I'm all for, I. it's funny, I ride this really fantastic seesaw with mm-hmm. details and perfection and launching before you're ready. I have no problem sending things out into the world that are kind of maybe a little crappy. Like, if if because it's that getting it out and knowing that people's eyes are on it, that's going to bring me back in to, to refine it, to refine it for sure. And if you're just sitting back there refining it like you're not it's not doing any good. Like, it hasn't done anything yet. It almost doesn't even warrant your attention yet. You have to you have to publish it. You have to send it out into the world, whatever it may be, um, before you come back and tweak those details. I obviously have, like, a standard for that, like, r- that awful rough draft that goes out into the world. Um, but I certainly don't struggle with really
0: hardcore perfectionism.
1: Question we ask everyone on the show. Worst advice you've received along the way.
0: Okay, I think that's some of the worst advice, or maybe even the thing that I see creative entrepreneurs do before they really get out and into their business, like into the grind of their business, is feeling like they have to spend money to make money. And you hear that all the time, you've got to spend money to make money. And I think in some cases, that's true, like whenever you get to a point that you're scaling. But I think that whenever you are first starting out, you just need to make some money. And so, One of my mantras is just make $100 today. And I feel like... Um, that can really get you into the flow and, and make you really creative about getting that one customer or selling that one piece of jewelry or whatever it is that you're doing. You just need to get one out there to start off with. You don't need to have beautiful branding. You don't even need to have a website yet. You don't need to hire a publicist. You just need to get that one client. And so that's a mistake or, you know, a piece of advice that I see people falling down and it gets them in debt. Sometimes they're branding out something and spending $30,000 on an entire branding package for for a career that they realize they don't even like once it's launched. So I would say, you know, on the flip side of you have to spend money to make money is just get that one client or sell that one thing and think about just making a hundred dollar deal today. It doesn't have to be six figures. It doesn't have to be seven figures. Just get out there and do it.
1: So to the skeptic who says, "Okay, Kathleen. You know, you make it sound simple, but like $100 today is not the easiest thing. What On your days where you were trying to hustle and figure it out, what did you do? How did you make that $100 sale?
0: Okay, I think you've learned by now that I'm a little (laughs) woo-woo. I like some magic. And so I had a mentor tell me, you have to make space for what you want. So I had just launched my business, and I'm a designer, so I was able to create my own brand. And this was seven years ago. Beautiful website, a few blog posts in the can, big launch party, and then it felt like crickets chirping, right? Like, where are the clients? So my mentor told me, you have to make space for them. And I looked around my office. I was like, I've got space. There's space. And he goes, no, you have to... You have to get out a poster board and draw some lines on it. And I had this huge chalkboard wall in my office and I drew 10 blank spaces on it. And then I drew like a magnet with hearts around it that represented my clients. Within a week, I had filled up those spaces. So obviously I did the work and I put the attention on launching this thing Um, and that that visual goal setting and making space. I think it's equal parts magic and equal parts putting your attention on a goal and making it visual. So I would come into my office, see those blank spaces, and I would send out some emails. I would call some contacts. I would write some blog posts. I would show up and put myself out there in order to reach those goals. So that's what it looks like for me. Perfect. Love that, Kathleen. Yeah. I was
2: there for those days. It was good. <laughs> so I think I think some of the worst advice, I remember hearing this a little bit. I've always been a little too headstrong for people to really give me advice. They're like, <laughs> we know she's not going to take it. Um, but I hear this from people a lot. And this is the idea that you have to, one, either go along the career path that you got your education in, or that once you choose your career path, like that's it forever. And I, that's so wrong and so and not like sad if you're doing it you're not sad for sure but but for so many of us you know college is just part of the path and it's only like College is four, five, six, seven, eight, nine years, (laughs) depending. Um, It's such a small part of your life. And you're not destined to, you know, choose the next 60, 70 years of your life based on a decision you make when you're 18. Um, I think that so many people put so much weight there that they end up taking themselves down a path that is not their own instead of looking at that experience or even, you know, the first career or two that you get into instead of looking at those as ways to um, enrich your life or add tools to your tool belt that will take you into something that you actually desire doing. Um, So, you know, it, it doesn't matter what that diploma says. It doesn't matter what your business card says. If there is something that you want to be doing or creating in the world, Those credentials don't mean that you can't.
0: I love that. And it also doesn't mean that you have to stop learning after college. I think that's probably something that we all have in common and certainly your listeners. If you are listening to podcasts, you are a student of life. You just want to soak it all up. Right. And you can keep learning along the way. Well, I
1: learned so much from this conversation. Sincerely, thank you so much to both of you for joining us here.
0: Thank you so thank much you. for having us. This has been a dream. It's
1: wonderful. And the book is called Being Boss. Take control of your work and live life on your own terms. Where can people listen to the Being Boss podcast?
2: You can find us at beingboss.club or
1: anywhere that you listen to podcasts. Wonderful. This was so much fun. Thank you for coming. Thanks thank for having you for us. Having us. Thank you again to Kathleen and Emily, and I really mean it. If you like what we're doing here at No Limits, I think you're really going to enjoy their Being Boss podcast. And in this week's episode, they're interviewing me, so be sure to check it out. Before we go, a quick reminder, send me those nominations for your No Limits Entrepreneur of the Week, and our No Limits Entrepreneur this week is Shana Harris. She's the Chief Growth Officer of Farmer's Fridge, and she was nominated by Rachel Rischel, who's a good friend of the show. Have you ever seen one of these farmer's fridges out in the wild? Well, they're these automated self-service fridges. They're stocked with healthy, yummy, chef-curated meals and snacks. It's a total rethink of vending machines, a healthy, quick option. And Shana caught my eye because not only is she from Chicago, you know I love my Chicago peeps, But I like that she describes her role as head accelerator. She came into the company really early on with their founder, Luke Saunders, and her job has been to build out the business plan and find the opportunities for growth. Think strategy. And in just two years, she's helped grow their revenue by six times and quadrupled the team size. I've also sampled the Farmer's Fridge food, and it's delish. Here's Shana to tell you more. Hi, I'm Shana Harris. I'm the chief growth officer of Farmer's
0: Fridge. We're a Chicago-based company, a network of smart fridges that aims to bring healthy, affordable food to places that need it most, like universities, hospitals, and office buildings. I joined our founder to scale Farmer's Fridge because I believe that access to healthy food is a fundamental right.
1: Farmer's Fridge brings chef-curated food at affordable prices to tens of thousands of people across the Greater Chicagoland area. And we donate all of our surplus food to the Greater Chicago Food Depository. I'm really thrilled to be a part of an organization whose mission is to change the way the world eats. Join us at www.farmersfridge.com. So not only great food, but also that component where they're donating. I love it. Congratulations, Shana. I wish you and Farmer's Fridge continued success. Remember, you can head on over to my Instagram at Rebecca Jarvis to see more of Shana's story. And don't forget, if you or someone you know should be featured here on No Limits as an entrepreneur, you can send me those nominations at no limits with RJ podcast at gmail.com. You can also send me career questions there. We are now answering those on Instagram in the live video. So keep an eye out for that. And I know how busy you all are. I know how busy we are. I really appreciate it when you take a moment to write. I also want to say thank you, thank you, thank you to those who are leaving us reviews like this one from Iram Malik, who says a well done, thoughtful podcast, inspirational at every turn. I look forward to each Tuesday. Tune in. So thank you, Iram. We really appreciate the support. I'm really glad you're tuning in and thank you for taking that minute to write. As always, you can find me on Instagram, Snapchat, Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn at Rebecca Jarvis. Don't forget to use our hashtag, NoLimitsPodcast. And a shout out to the team here that helps make this happen week after week Taylor Dunn, Michelle Bancardo, Annie Osakwe, and the ABC Radio team David Rind, Elizabeth Russo, Josh Cohan, Andrew Kelp, and Steve Jones. Hey, I'm Andy Mitchell, a New York Times bestselling author, and I'm Sabrina Kohlberg, a morning
2: television producer.